0: Memory Banda is a human and girls' rights activist and the founder and executive director of Foundation for Girls Leadership, a not-for-profit organization in Malawi working to advance and promote girls' rights, their leadership, and their active participation in driving positive change. Girls in Malawi are denied their rights to education, sexual reproductive health, and have fewer opportunities to participate in development and economic activities. They are often victims of sexual and gender-based violence. Memory led a campaign called I Will Marry When I Want that contributed to the passing and enactment of the new law and amendment of the Malawi Constitution that criminalizes marriages of minors.
1: Memory Banda and the Foundation for Girls' Leadership, welcome to the Creative Process and Women's Stories. Thank you. Thank you so
2: much for having me today. I'm looking forward to having this uh, important conversation with you.
1: So you grew up in a country where you've said young girls don't have a dream beyond marriage. You know, we all see things in the world that we like to change, but what you've done is powerful. And at such a young age too, you're changing lives. You're offering pathways to the future for young women and girls and helping change centuries-long cultural traditions that normalize child abuse. I imagine it must be so difficult when it's so embedded in the culture. And when I first heard about your story, I thought, how old is this person you started all? This must be a fully adult woman, but you were a child yourself when you started this movement.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And for me, my activism, I really started at such a young age. And for me, it was really based on survival. I think when I'm asked, how did you start all that? But when I look back today, it's something that I never thought about it, but today, I'm able to internalize it that, oh, I think it was because of survival. I wanted to survive. I I wanted a a different life. And for girls like myself, seeing them getting married when they were so young. And for me, my younger sister being trapped in that uh, trail where she got married when she was pretty young, when she was 11 years old. And this is not just the only case, but the environment itself. It's one of the motivation factor for me to be where I am today, looking at the women who were trapped in child marriages and looking at the life that they were living, I felt like I didn't want to live that kind of, uh, of a life. And that's what really motivated me. And I didn't want to be one of those girls who have children when they're young. And when it happened to my younger sister, it was more of like a wake-up call. Like, oh, okay, so if it can happen to her, it can also happen to me me you know so that's when i started looking at child marriage as a very big issue and at the same time seeing how much attached it is to a traditional values and norms it that was actually a, a very big challenge because when you look at young girls they All of us, we didn't see child marriage as a problem because it was a normal thing because our our mothers, our aunties, they have gone through it and they didn't see any problem with it. And uh, for us as children, as we were growing up, we didn't see it as a problem at all. But for me, the uh, the, the turning point, the change point for me, it was like it happened in my family, it happened to my cousins and all those people around me and that was the biggest hit and it changed the my perspective on issues of child marriage and looking back at our traditions that undermine women, especially girls, that's when I decided I can do something about it.
1: I, I can't even imagine in the case of your own sister, she's now been married three times. Just tell us what you're seeing and what you didn't want to happen to you and others you knew.
2: Okay, so basically reflecting that on, on my younger sister, by the time she was in her 20s, she has three children. And this is not just the only case. So many girls like herself, once you get married when you're young, by the time you're 20, by the time you're 18, you have three, four uh, children. And how do you feed all those children? I've seen it firsthand, I experienced where girls who have gone through a child marriage. It means everything around them is done. It's almost like you're done with your life. You don't have uh, a life beyond that. The only thing is you're married and that's it. And you don't have the economic empowerment. You're not even economically empowered. You can't feed your children. You can't dream bigger for your children because you don't have the ability to do that beyond that. So seeing that most girls, uh, are their childhood, I uh, gets robbed through child marriages in the alike. That's when in my community with the girls around me, I decided to set up a club. So through the club that I did set up uh, in my community, it really gave me more insight about what happens when girls uh, get married when they're younger, when they're married off when they're younger. And I learned a lot, including the way how they face a lot of agenda-based violence in families. And when it comes to issues of gender-based violence, it's even big because a child who is married of young, they end up facing all forms of uh, violence. When we talk about physical violence, emotional violence, they're traumatized. And when it comes to sexual violence, happens. So they go through all these forms of uh, violence and. For me, I couldn't take it when I was hearing all those stories coming from girls who have been married off young. So my club really gave me a platform to collect all those stories that young girls uh, like myself were going through. And hearing those stories, I knew that I don't have to go through all those kind of uh, experiences. And I decided that it can't just be uh, myself. It can't just be about me. But I started thinking about all the girls that around me. And I thought, what is it that I can do to be a part of a change uh, that can happen within my community? And uh, beyond that, I connected myself with different organizations uh, that uh, were involved in my community. And through this, we created some sort of like a movement uh, read by girls in my community. And of course, some shoe women joined in. And those uh, shoe women, they were very important in our movement because that's when I learned the issues that we were going through as yes, young girls, they had gone through it, but they were so scared in their time to start speaking about them. And they were encouraging us like, oh, so we went through this and we knew that it's, it's, it's bad, but then we, we, we did not have the muscle to stand up and speak out about all these issues that uh, uh, were happening in our times. And you girls, you are so brave. So we met those kind of women who were able to support us and give us the energy to go on and advocate with the traditional leaders in our communities.
1: You actually changed the laws, legal marriage age from 15 to 18, but I want to also help our listeners understand when you say it's, oh, it's tradition, as you said, everyone does it, but many wouldn't really be able to comprehend these initiation camps. It's hidden under language, but we have to call it by its true name child abuse, rape, violation, mm-hmm. call it by its name, it goes beyond something benign and traditional.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. It goes beyond norms and traditions. For my community, back in the days, of course it still happens where when adolescents, when once a girl child reaches adolescents, one of the tradition value is that they have to go to the initiation camps. And the initiation camps are more of like the rite of passage to adulthood. It's a tradition whereby every girl, they have to go through the initiation camp. If girls don't go through that, when they grow up, when they are now mothers, they don't feel like they are grown up enough because they didn't go through uh, the initiation camp. So it's it's more mandatory for. All the children, uh, once they reach adolescent, uh, once they start, when they're about to start the menstruation, they have to go through the initiation camps. It is a traditional, value that at the initiation camps, the community, through the traditional leaders, they actually have a specific man that they hire who goes to the uh, initiation camps and rape, raping all the girls. And that rape is just a tradition where it's, it's no longer recognized as rape, but rather. Uh, something that has that um, every girl has to go through, and after that camp, nothing is talked about about that specific uh rape, raping all the girls at the uh, initiation camp. And this is one of the traditional uh, practices that my group went against, and this actually was the biggest first thought fight that I have ever been involved in at community level, whereby we started questioning why do we. Uh, girls have to go through this? Why should girls have to go through the initiation camp and after that justifying the rape that happens at the camp as a traditional norm? This was quite the the toughest thing that uh, we ever did as girls in my community to question something like this that has been embraced for uh, ages and has been passed on uh, from generation to generation. And looking at the impact that this had on the lives of girls. They Through the correction of stories that I had with the girls, we presented our issues. The girls were able to voice out, like, I went to the initiation camp and this is what happened. And after the camp, since the one thing that is told is actually about how these young girls, they can sexually please men and they are like, and we spoke against that. And the traditional leaders, they were shocked to see us questioning all these kind of traditional values that happen at community level. And it's only later on that through the collection of stories that we presented to the traditional leaders. And at the same time, because the media was present, these stories started being written in newspapers. It became an open conversation on radio, on TV, and I think this was the biggest breakthrough, whereby the media got so much involved and so much negative traditional values began being began exposed in most parts of the country. After um, such kind of exposure, now the traditional leaders became more reneged, like, oh, so we can change some of the things that happened there. Oh, so now the person that goes uh, to the camp should no longer go there. And now organizations started coming in with a new programming whereby they started thinking, what if the other teachings that happen at the camp gets to be revised and they should be age-appropriate, and they are like, so reflecting on how the powerful, the young voices of girls uh, came out, it really brought some sort of uh, change uh, towards the way how some negative traditional values looked at in the, when it comes to issues of traditional values, challenging the traditional values.
0: Yeah. So talking about tradition and the culture within Malawi, I was curious as to what your relationship is with Malawian culture and how has it changed as you've grown up?
2: When it comes uh, to traditions, I always Say that traditional values are, are very important. They're key. Uh, they give us identity. They make us who we are in that perspective. But it's also very important to keep on analyzing our different uh, traditions and ask ourselves uh, is this traditional? our practice giving value to the life of a girl or to the life of a boy child. For instance, when we're looking at our traditional values, most of our traditional values actually undermine the abilities of a girl child. And as I was growing up, I didn't think much of myself that I can be more. Most of the girls thought when they're growing up is that we are restricted in thinking, we are restricted, like, oh, I can't go beyond this as a girl. I can't, for I can't, for example, go beyond secondary education because after that, oh, by by the time I reach fifteen years old, I have to be married and the like. So um, uh, those kind of traditional values really restrict. Or um, in other terms, it gives you a remit beyond what you can do. More girls can be more what they are if such kind of negative traditional values that I've just explained. If these uh, actually ban, they are some sort of revised so that there is some form of a gender transformative approach when we are dealing with our traditional uh, values. So we, there is a need for us to give a base. When it comes to uh, embracing our traditional values, they have to be traditional values that benefits both uh, girls and, and boys. But in our case, it's not like that.
1: I think it's really important that at a young age, you're able to question it. And also, conversely, what are some aspects of Malawian culture that you embrace and treasure?
2: Well, yeah, it's it's, so, it's always really great to strike a balance uh, when it comes to these things. And for me, there are so many other beautiful aspects of Malawian culture that I embrace. We we are very much known in our culture. There is a lot of music and dancing. And, and at the same time, they most part, I think for me, it's the way how we are very much known in central and southern part of Africa as like the warm heart of Africa, because we are a very friendly nation and for us to be really uh, friendly people is because we have been instilled in us the, the traditional values that makes us really warm to all the people that are, are around us. And uh, we have so many beautiful dance music. That we is uh, that I embrace as part of my culture and uh, tradition. That from my both parents are like from the northern part of Malawi, and because my mother is from the northern part of Malawi, and there are some really uh, great things that I embrace from from that side as well. I think for me, mostly it's about the way how we are raised to. Continuously respect, that's something that is really great. Respect their dad and and that's one of the culture that I, I continuously embrace.
1: And I'm just wondering what, you know, you, it seems that like you must have, you're a born leader and your foundation, which is for promoting leadership, just beyond changing legislation, but promoting the foundation for girls leadership. So if you could tell us what you were like as even a young girl, when did this capacity of yours emerge? And just tell us some of the different missions of your foundation in terms of mentorship and educational initiatives and changing legislation.
2: Okay, uh, so for me, uh, through my my, my foundation, uh, Foundation for Girls Leadership, for me to initiate, have this foundation, it comes from a background where I was largely involved. My voice contributed largely on the change of the legal marriage age in Malawi from 15 to 18 through my activism. And uh, looking at, at the way how I, I managed to run the Aumare when I want campaign, which contributed to the passing of the legal marriage age. And at the same time, the way how I got myself involved in different, working with different organizations. And that experience gave me a basis to found my foundation. And I told myself, what if I have a foundation that I can now be directly working with the girls in the communities myself? And I have been able to work on different programs, mostly targets like promoting girls' education. So it's all about raising the next generation of girl readers. And for me, uh, leadership is key, a very big key component that I believe that if the adolescents are instilled with leadership abilities, they will become unstoppable leaders as they are growing up. And uh, that's the generation that can really change uh, things uh, around us and uh, in that regard, we look at issues of how uh, young people can embrace their body autonomy through the delivering uh, messages or launch issues of sexual reproductive health and rights. And uh, on issues of sexual reproductive health and rights, accessibility is a very big issue in my country because you can't just openly talk about sexuality with adolescents. And that's something that my foundation is working on to break barriers on issues of uh, sexually productive health information and rights where young people should be able to hold conversations about their body autonomy, about their body rights, about issues that can help them make informed decisions about their own uh, rights. At the same time, my foundation really advocates on uh, different policies, and reviews, working with different organizations. But the topmost is basically working with adolescents below the age of 18. And for me, I chose um, to work with the group below the age of 18 because I believe the area, the beta, because I realized that when you are new, still some specific information in young people, in adolescents. They grow into knowing that, oh, I can become a leader. That means you're defying the, the old against, against the traditional barriers and the norms that actually tells the girl child in the community that you can't be a leader. And now if we jump in at such a young age and tell this girl child that you can be anything that you want at such a young age, is the most critical thing.
1: It's so true. You're really laying the groundwork and you can't even imagine the ripple for generations to come.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I know a lot of your work is focusing on storytelling and you've collaborated on a project called River of Life. So I was just wanting you to talk a little bit about that and the impact that you think stories have and the change that they can make.
2: I believe that uh, storytelling is one powerful tool that can Really transform the lives of people because it's one thing that you can get in touch with, and it gives it gives people an opportunity to fit themselves in the shoe of the uh, person that is sharing the story, and it's easy to connect with the environment that the person is in or grow in. That's why uh, I use the story, the power, the story of power uh, storytelling in all our programming at the foundation. And uh, most, most uh, specifically through the level of life, it's more of like an analogy where you're just looking at the way how your life's ha- your life has been from childhood and then to puberty stage, and then to adulthood and all that. And uh, young people, when we use this specific analogy of how your life has been through the level of life, is more just inquiring from the young children to give their lived experience, the challenges they, that they have made, the happy moments that have, they have lived, and collectively, how all those specific details have formed the person who they are uh, today. And through that, in the safe space, they are able to say, oh, okay. They're able to relate. I also went through that. If she went through that and she overcame that big challenge, I can do it too. I don't have to cry over this. I can make it. If she made it, I can make it. And through this, we incorporate the uh, use of the the role models and uh, through the role models who now, uh, like the young achievers who are now doing big things, whether in the government, whether in politics. We use the very same young uh, achievers or young power. I mean, uh, powerful women in politics or in in whatever sector, and then we bring these to the girls. And when these women share their powerful stories of how they grew up, the girls in the crabs they're able to connect with these women who have also gone through the very same challenges, but they are now they came through it and now they are in government. They're in the system. They're changing things. So it's the storytelling, it's, it gives that chain of power whereby now the girls realize that, oh, I can become that big as well. So it's really a powerful way of uh, transforming everything that happens allowed the lives of girls.
1: Yes, we, we so much believe in this. One of our missions here is one generation inspiring a, another. And you don't even know, it's a little gem of something. People take it into their lives and they build a life, they build a mission around it. And definitely storytelling is one of the most in ancient ways of connecting and, and learning. And if you think of some stories that were passed on to you as you think about the strong women, your you know ancestor work, whose strength do you draw upon? People you're not related to, people who are related to you who who gave you this spark.
2: It's been people that apart from my mother, my mother was more of an inspiration of like, oh, so you can go and you can do this. She has always been a part of my Life where she's able to push me through and uh, someone that I can provide in. But for me, I think it's for the women that I have through my uh, struggle to, to working with the uh, girls' lives. And I, I met this woman. Well, we have this powerful woman in, in my country. She's called uh, Dr. Jesse Mwila. She is, she is quite feminine. She is a politician and she is a feminist. And I've had like several interactions with her, and she has always given me this spark. Uh, when she shared her story of her where she grew up. She grew up in an environment where she was supposed to be married every time she tells she shares her story. She was like, by now, i I think I'd have been uh, one of the granny. I would have been I was supposed to be married maybe when when I was twelve years old. But after being forced to get married, I went to the person that I was forced to get married to. And then beyond that, I was able to, you know, overcome. I was like, is this the life that I want? I had to learn a way. And for me, when I heard those uh, kind of uh, stories on how powerful she is, and later on, when she's openly able to share about how after navigating that, she went back to school, she passed and now she is a doctor. And at the same time, she was able later on in life, when she went through an abusive relationship, she was able to come out. So when I was able to see how her life really came out and coming from a poor background and working it out. So I, I felt like that was really inspiring. And every time she stands on the podium, sharing her story, I know she connects with so many girls, in our know, in my country and beyond. So she's quite a phenomenal person that really uh, changed the way how I look at different uh, things in life. And at the same time, just interacting with her gives me this zeal like, oh, I could be that powerful as well. Well, you
1: are as powerful. And so we're
2: (laughs) eager to learn
1: from you, you know, some of those sources of power or like negotiation skills or the ways, the tools that you found, storytelling is one way. So just tell us some of the ways in that you found that you were able to change people's minds.
2: Well, I think the other one is something that we have just talked a little bit about. It's about connecting yourself into different generations. Because through my work, I was able to dialogue with the traditional leaders. I was able to dialogue with older, the older generation that they have gone through this at the same time. We should also never forget that before us, we stand on the shoulders of other uh, individuals who have been fighting, you know, for the same cause that we are fighting today. So for me, being able to stand on their shoulders and learning from them, creating that intergenerational dialogues from, you know, learning from the adult. At my age right now, I'm 20 something. I'm able to interact with the the adolescents. I should learn what is happening in their lives and then connecting to the way how I grew up and then looking at the adult, where are we going now? So if we are able to learn from different generations as we forge ahead, that's also one tool that can uh, change things around us. And at the same time, it's something that you just mentioned about being able to uh, negotiate. It's also uh, one powerful tool because sometimes you get to be in a very compromised position whereby we, I'm always dealing with issues of how to change traditional values. These things can't just change overnight, you know. And at the same time, you have learning how to being able to be open and dialoguing with uh, people that have many contrary like yourself and understanding why do they have why are they thinking in this line of thought and how do I come in uh, to change the way how this individual is thinking and then uh, you don't have to impose at the same time your thoughts but you have to take them in a position where they slowly understand and now they should reach a compromise themselves that oh this is the way how things are now things have changed we have to move in time so being able to build that dialogue around people is very, very critical.
0: Yeah, your knowledge and methods of creating change are super interesting and have obviously been very effective in malaria, But I was also wondering, because you've mentioned that You also do activist work in other countries. And so how has your activist work transcended or been effective across borders? And does the context of different cultures, nationalities, and identities change your approach to activism?
2: yeah, my activism, it comes from the point that when it comes to issues of child marriage, it's, it's not something that does not just affect Malawi, but it's something that really affects the whole continent and uh, most specifically the developing uh, countries. Through my work, when I was working on the campaign, I was able to connect myself with young people, not just in Malawi. We had some program that we connected ourselves, we connected ourselves with some young people in Kenya. And we had some group of young people in the UK who were actually part of the campaign. And that really uh, made me realize that uh, whatever is happening in a developing country really doesn't just affect us, but it affects all the young people around us. And that's when I was able to uh, connect myself with young people, across through the program that uh, we were working on back then. And just recently... I, I was also involved. I, I, I believe that as we are living in a quite techno- more more technological and through media, things are really changing at large. So I thought why can't we why can't I use social media as one of the platforms that can really gate my ideas or get the things that I'm working on far beyond Malawi and that's when I Decided to have my talk show called Talk There Issues, and it's an online. And through this, I was able to connect with young people across uh, using my social media platform. And it's it's on hold right now. But the few episodes that I worked on on the talk show, I was happy that it was I was able to reach young people uh, across. And my few friends, let's say in Germany, they were able to watch and give me feedback. Oh, we love your talk show, and I'm able to some t-shirts. Uh, we are actually using some of the for teaching in their classrooms, and uh, right now, I'm connecting myself with teachers of in different countries, I am able to connect with young people, dialogue with young people on issues of gender uh, equality, responding to their different questions on how they can to be part of this change that we are working on, on ensuring that we promote gender uh, equality across. So um, it's one of the key. Thing that I have been doing lately through media.
1: Yeah, it's powerful because you've changed the law through the child marriage bill. But again, laws are laws that are there to protect us. But sometimes I don't know if the trickle down effect is how long it takes to get to all communities to know that the changes are taking place.
2: Yeah, that that's quite tricky. And it's something that is a, a burning conversation right now because we have the rules in place. And, and Malawi is actually very known with having documenting all the rules and the policies and the like. And as we are speaking right now, we have the rule that ban uh, child marriages. No child has to be married below the age of 18. But if we go into the communities, we still have a very, very big problem where girls are still being married off, they are going into marriages. So, indeed, having the role is the other, and implementation is a very big way. And that's where we, right now, like for as a country, Uh, like Malawi, that's where we now have put more effort and uh, resources in ensuring that we work with different structures in the communities to ensure that the message is known into the communities. And one gap that I have uh, noticed so far through programming on implementing uh, these laws in place is for, for instance, when it comes to ending child marriage, the biggest question has always been, are we investing enough in education because too often these girls, uh, there are so many reasons why they drop out of school and go into uh, marriages. And one of them is is poverty. Poverty is a very uh, big pro- driver of uh, child marriage as as much as the traditional virus is also the biggest part. So there is need for integration of different programs for instance, providing scholarships for girls to continue uh, their education beyond secondary. And so there is that need of integration where it's to end child marriage. It's it's not just about one form of programming, but we we have to be diverse enough. So that's where the biggest uh, challenge is. So do you work
1: with other initiatives in government that are working hand in hand with anti-poverty initiatives or educational initiatives, not just for girls, but of course it's embracing all, all
2: sexes? So not specifically tied to my foundation. But I, I I know of different organizations that right now ensuring that there is some form of economic empowerment for girls in the communities as well as the programs that directly work with the pilots at national level. There are programs that provide some form of capital to to women in this in the community so that it's more of alleviate the poverty levels, but. Now looking at the other challenge through this is for instance, in Malawi, the Minister of Gender is the one that populate this, this pro kind of like programming. And yet the Minister of Gender is actually the risk funded ministry in the government. So you'd see that the challenges start from the top and then of course, there are organizations that jump in to support the effort of the government, but there is more need of resources that needs to be extremely down to the Minister of Gender so that they're able to cover uh, this kind of uh, programming.
0: Our socialization largely determines how we interact with the world. When you are told for years you are nothing but a wife, but at the service of your husband, but at the will of social reproduction, care labor, and raising your children, how do you conceptualize anything outside of that domain? Gender is a socially created category. It changes across temporal and spatial lines. Our conception of what a woman is and expectations for her is different than those held a century ago, and the conception of womanhood in Malawi was largely contested by Memory Banda. Banda had no other example of womanhood, except what was exhibited by the women around her, who had all been married by a young age. In a sense, no one was counted as a full human. Women were only considered complete when they were serving men. Centuries-long traditions conditioned women to believe in their subordination and servitude. How do you fight against that? As Memory Banda explains it, She contended these traditions as a survival response. The only way she saw herself truly living was to break outside of the gender roles placed for her. The definition of womanhood is largely how to please men, emotionally, physically, mentally, and sexually. To me, it seems that claiming femininity in your identity is claiming to be less than a whole human, with your entire existence in relation to men. As a Gender, Women, and Sexuality Studies major at the University of Washington, I analyze the position of Malawian women as within the economy of social reproduction. Women are expected to reproduce, take care of the children, raise them to be members of society, and give mental, emotional, and physical care to the family. It is a form of expropriation, or unpaid labor that enables the rise of economies. Banda does not just see child marriage as the root cause of gender inequalities, despite it being the base of her activist work. Child marriage is a symptom of a legacy of traditions that are formed from a patriarchal society that favors men and create the circumstances that leave women in a vulnerable, subordinate position. To reverse centuries-long traditions is to go against all of the odds. Banda did the seemingly impossible, conceptualizing a society beyond what was presented to her, a government that protected girls and women. To think beyond the norms is like pulling ideas out of thin air. She was not equipped with the tools, the examples, or the knowledge to pursue this track. Yet, she did. Going against traditions and culture is not a rejection of self for Banda, She is able to differentiate between the traditions that are truly beautiful and those that produce harm. She contends with these alternative versions of Malawian tradition while still fully embracing her culture, her community, and her people. To grapple with these contradictions is powerful and enabled Banda to think critically about her community, not just in black and white terms. Understanding the law further is to understand that it means nothing without follow-up, implementation, and accountability. Implementation of the law is one thing, but it takes generations for social change to truly be established. Banda recognizes the complexities of the interplay between legal and social change through her grassroots organizing. Legal change can take years, but social change takes generations. So she connects with the community, not relying on the government to implement the policies and enact social change, but rather focusing her energies into grassroots organizing, into moving people. Organizing people does not just take the form of mass mobilizations or protests on the street. It also means sharing stories. It means starting discussions on sexual and reproductive health. It means talking about the hard subjects and being okay with not finding a comfortable answer. It means pinpointing violence and calling it by its name. It means understanding ourselves as political beings by nature. Every factor of our lives is naturally political. And as soon as we conceptualize ourselves as individuals who contribute to a larger society as a part of a whole movement and even a whole revolution within ourselves, then the people can enact any form of change. Girls are humans. They are living, breathing, political, and powerful beings. Memory Banda is making sure that they are recognized as such. I think it's really incredible that you're focusing on so many different issues, kind of as these other causes for the issue of child marriage. And so because you're taking such a broad-based view on everything, I was wondering if there are any
2: laws that you hope to implement in the future in Malawi, I, I think earlier on I talked about the issue of sexually productive health as one of the tied issues when it comes to addressing issues of child marriage, as you are aware, when girls cannot access contraceptives, when they don't have information about contraceptives, the immediate result is it's either they or they end up being pregnant and if you're if you A girl child is pregnant. In our culture, the immediate thing is like, oh, she's forced into marriage. So we have in our country, in terms of the law, if you're under the age of uh, 14, according to the law, you cannot access the contraceptives. So you have to get consent for you to, you know, get the, uh, to access contraceptives. But then the biggest question that as young people in Malawi, we have all this, is that young people as young as 11 years old, they're sexually active. So what if this specific role is actually revised so that young people can be able to decision on their own to go and access contraceptives, to get information about uh, contraceptives. So um, that's one one issue that young people in the country we are working on and is something that we want to push ahead so that young people uh, should be able to make informed decision about their uh, se- sexuality health.
0: Yeah, I think... That is super important to have, you know, the idea of bodily autonomy and especially for girls. And so I was wondering more on those conversations of sexual and reproductive health. Did you ever have any of those conversations growing up in your life? Not at all. Not at all.
2: So it's something that as I was growing up, a group of young girls, you know, that you can't just openly talk about your sexuality and they are like, but I have seen a, a different urge right now with the involvement of different organizations. Now they're coming in to make an open kind of like conversation when it comes to issues of sexually protective rights and rights is something very new. And even if we go into the communities right now, it's very difficult to involve community people on, on an open discussion on uh, sexually protective health and rights. So it's a new conversation. And at the same time, it's something that different organizations are working on to ensure that it becomes one of the uh, priority uh, area when it comes to working with the uh, young people in the communities, as well as ensuring that the adults understand that uh, we are living in different times where these issues have to be openly talked about because even if we don't talk about them, young people are still being sexually active at such a young age.
1: And your own plans or your views of marriage? Personally, I, I don't know what it's like to grow up in a culture of arranged marriages. And so what are your views on that? What are your plans? Or are you, will you wait or?
2: Well, okay. So for me, really, uh, I believe that nobody has to be forced. Actually, not just forced. Nobody has to be told whom to marry or be forced on whom to marry. Every individual is an, is an autonomous being, meaning that every person should be able to make their own decisions. And it should not be influenced by, you know, external uh, factors, such as the traditional values that are around us. So for me, it's about your body, your rights, your life. Therefore, you should be able to make uh, your own uh, personal decision on when and whom to marry. And the sentence just don't have to end there, but you have to marry when the time is right. When you're done with your education, So for me, I believe in giving myself time and when the time is right, I should, I will be able to make a decision like, hey, memory, now is the time. And uh, right now I'm still giving myself time. I have so, so much goals that I I am working on right now. And then I'm also working on myself. So it's very important uh, for young people to take their time know where they are going and at the same time and when they feel that the time is right they should be able to do so but when they have completed a couple of goals
1: absolutely and also as the neuroscientist tells us our brains are changing mid-20s even beyond so many people like in their 30s some people say they didn't even feel they know themselves until their 40s so the idea of making a major life decision I don't even know you're making a major life decision at 11 or 12. It's just beyond belief.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It's so bizarre. When I look back into our community and look at young people who are below the age of 18, getting into marriage, and the biggest question is like, how will they, like, life is, is tough. Everything around us is really difficult. And how will they maneuver in such difficult times? How do they make decisions for their children help them how do they help their children to make decisions and something like that and at the same time how will they educate their children Uh, that's why we have this continuous cycle uh, of poverty because poverty is generational if generation a did not get educated generation b it's likely that they'll not be educated and it keeps on are uh, going in that regard. So it's really important that we create a new world where child marriage is not there, where young people, the generation where we should let children be, let children be, let them grow and later on uh, in life explore what they're capable.
0: Yeah. So. I also was curious because we're talking about all these issues and a lot of it, it's regarding to women um, and women's issues. And so I was wondering how you are choosing to bring men into these conversations, especially with bringing about these issues of rape and sexual assault, because it's not always easy with you yourself being a woman to bring these forth
2: and get taken seriously. I think that's one thing that I forgot to mention, that throughout our campaign, it wasn't just the other voices of girls. But we also had boys on board and they also took a part uh, in everything that uh, we were doing. And right now we are working on programs that integrate, you know, the voices of young men on the table so that we spark new conversation on building positive security. Program, we are making the young men understand that you can still be a man without proving to, your, to, to, to women by beating them, by raping them. In most of the traditional values, it's like for men to prove that they are men, it means that they have to devalue de- de- the woman. They have to undermine the girl or the woman. So we want, like, uh, with the conversation that we get to have with the boys uh, in the communities is actually to make them understand that they can still be powerful men without undermining the women, without undermining the girls around them. So that's um, a very uh, key area that uh, we are working on right now. And it's a great tool, especially for men to change their feral men So that they are able to understand their own language. So we have the group of uh, boys champions in the communities who actually work with their fellow boys on sparking these conversations on positive masculinity.
1: And related to this, what is the situation in in Malawi for LGBTQ people? What situations do they face and, and how do you bring them into the conversation?
2: That's one area that is right now. Not an open conversation because in Malawi, according to the law, the LGBTQ community is not recognized by law. But there are organizations in the country that are directly working with LGBTQ community, uh, more of bringing the conversations uh, to an open space. And I understand, I think should be allowed January this year, the bill was presented and unfortunately it was overturned by the members of the uh, parliament when the bill was actually uh, tabled in the parliament. I would say that there is a long way to go when it comes to addressing issues of the LGBTQ community and yeah, the minority community. So on this issue, we are actually extremely uh, far behind uh, when it comes to and open conversations. Of course, like, uh, should be around 2012 where it, there was uh, the first uh, couple that was actually deported from the country because they thought, like, this is not a safe space for them. And so for most LGBTQ community, they uh, prefer being in South Africa because uh, in Southern Africa, it's the only country that has a law that protects the LGBTQ community.
0: Yeah. And there's so many different ways that you can continue your work into these different realms um, of activism too. It's super cool to hear that you're thinking about all these different aspects. And with your work, you've had so many different successes. But of course, there are failures to everything. And there are constantly people questioning your voice and yourself. So... How do you deal with those critiques and how do you, on a personal level as well, in your daily life, reminding yourself of
2: your own power, your own voice personally? I think for me, on a personal note, the more critique that I have uh, received, it's mostly about being intimidated. Like, who do, who do you think you are? Why are you doing this? Why are you challenging the traditions that have been embraced for uh, centuries in there, but even though I received this kind of critics, but that did not stop me from going ahead, working on all the issues that I thought they, they are closer to my heart. And at the same time, uplifting the lives of girls uh, in my community and uh, beyond. And for me, I always believe that the little wins that I have uh, made, they help me push for more. They help me push to go ahead. I don't really estimate the small wins. I believe that the small ways that I have heard really put together, contribute to the uh, bigger picture of everything that I am working on. Even when it's a small victory, the smallest win, I put it as the biggest uh, victory. So that's what really keeps me going in my wake and being able to pat myself at the back to say, you did this. So those really motivate me uh, to go, keep on going on.
1: Well, you're a credit to your country and to women everywhere, a great role model. So as you think about the future, of course, education, the progress we've made, a kind of world that you want to live in, what would you like young people to know,
2: preserve, and remember? I think for me, for the young people is to tell them that they have to believe in themselves and uh, to believe in their smallest idea. Because too often we think that for everything to happen, we have to have the biggest idea But I believe that it doesn't have to be the biggest idea, the smallest idea that you have. Bring it to the table, share it, and you'll be surprised that people with your smallest idea, they'll be able to support you. Because too often we we get scared that I have this idea, but who's going to really support me? But there are always people around you that will be able to cheer you up, to to say you have the greatest idea. Continuously connect uh, yourself with people that can support you people that you look at as role models, speak to those people. You grow better uh, when you are allowed uh, those people because they are able to give you more ideas about what you can do further with your uh, smallest idea. And at the same time, there is this tendency of young people being scared of being involved in with politics. They don't want to connect themselves with political activities. But one thing that we should remember as young people that everything around us is political by nature. We shouldn't be really scared enough getting ourselves into different political aspects of of issues around us. Be, Be bold enough to speak out on the biggest challenges that are around you. And at the same time, it's in us to understand what kind of environment I am in. What is it that I can contribute to the problems that I am facing, that young people or people in general are facing in our community. So just go on, be a part of that and you'll be surprised that you will be the biggest uh, game changer in your community.
1: Well, you're a brilliant role model. Thank you, Memory Banda and the Foundation for Girls Leadership for your invaluable contribution and all you do to raise awareness and help improve the futures of girls and young women so they can find their voices, have choices and lead lives of meaning and purpose. Thank you for helping make the world a better place for the next generation and adding your voice to the creative process.
0: The Creative Process podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk and Sydney Field with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Sydney Field. Digital Media Coordinators are Jacob A. Preisler and Megan Hagenbarth. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis, and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.